Many farmers are looking for ways to get better value from their pasture, get through an upcoming El Nino weather cycle and control on farm costs. Could deferred grazing provide a solution for some farmers? In today's episode, you'll get the lowdown on this cheap and flexible form of pasture conservation. Our guests are Dairy NZ senior scientist Dr. Wendy Griffiths and Waikato farmer Ian Butler, who's used deferred grazing on his farm. Ian is also a Dairy NZ extension partner in the Waikato. Wendy and Ian will explain what deferred grazing is, when to use it, its pros and cons, and importantly, what the research tells us about this feed management strategy. This is episode 64, and I'm your host, Ben Chapman-Smith. Wendy and Ian, thank you so much for giving up your time to be here on the podcast today. This is great. Wendy, not everybody will be familiar with this thing called deferred grazing. What is it, and are there different ways to use it? Deferred grazing we can sort of view as being, it's really essentially a management tool to manage pasture quality. You can also tra- use it to transfer your spring feed into early summer and to rejuvenate poor performing perennial ryegrass pastures. There's a couple of ways that we can think about deferred grazing. The first is um, essentially as a short deferral. Typically around 50 to 60 days, we were rolling forward a spring surplus into summer. And this is early summer. So by that, I'm, I'm meaning the side of Christmas. So we've got slightly higher feed cover than what you might normally expect to be putting cows into, but it's still really good quality. The benefit is of this is that by taking a paddock out of your rotation, you are increasing the stocking density and improving pasture quality on the balance of the farm. The second approach is what we call a long deferral. So this is where paddocks that being identified as a spring surplus or in need of renovation are not grazed for approximately 110 to 120 days. So this provides the farmers with a large standing mass of feed available for grazing after seed drop. And that can typically occur from anywhere from sort of mid-January onwards. But of course, it'll be dependent on your location. Mm, sure. How do you know so much about deferred grazing? How long have you been working in this area for? We ran a trial um, about four or five years ago on deferred grazing trial up on Dairy and Seth Scott Farm. Mm, sure. But you've been pretty deep in the subject since then. I have indeed. Yeah, cool. So, Ian, when did you start using deferred grazing and why and how have you used it? Yeah, so I first um, became aware of deferred grazing when I was taking a walk around Scott Farm and uh, it was a dry late March or early April. And uh, there was one little patch of green grass, and I said to the people, what's that? (laughs) I want to know what that is. And uh, that was Wendy's trial plots. So I was very interested in it. I was share milking on a a System 1 farm, and we had some very poor run-out pastures. Um, My farm owner was quite elderly and conservative and didn't want to do any regrassing or cropping. And as I said, we had some significantly run out pastures, so it just seemed like a really good fit for us. And uh, yeah, it certainly was. We went to pretty much straight away 10% of our farm with it, used it for that summer feed. Because of our farm system and our cows, we didn't see a drop off in milk production when we started feeding it because we were already sort of at that time of year down to about a 1.2, 1.3 kilos per cow, made the summer management through drought the dry years, very good. And yeah, a lot of our learnings were more at the other end, as Wendy was just alluding to with that wall of feed. Actually dealing with that required us to make a few changes. So have you you continued using this strategy? Yep. 
yep, well, I'm not farming now. I'm working for Dairy NZ now, so I'm, I've been out talking to farmers about it that would benefit from it. And I guess they could go on to the, the benefits for us. So for us, it was that extended round. So we put we had a 300-cow farm in two herds. So we'd get into the middle of January and put 200 herd cows onto spending 50% of their time on the deferred grazing straight away essentially doubled our round to a 60 day round through the dry period meant we weren't going back and hammering all our, all our pastures um, so it actually had good benefits for damage not caused to the rest of the farm there was that guaranteed feed cow condition was good because it's it's a fairly coarse feed it's a bit like sort of rough baleage where your cows won't make an enormous amount of milk but will put a bit of weight on so we got increased days of milk because of our cow condition and then just that massive amount of feed coming through in the spring was really big. I also used that to food grazing to send off my cows. So one year we had the last dry season we had here in the Waikato, we had 25 mils of rain in February and so for that time I was actually able to stand off my cows on the deferred paddocks and let the rest of the farm recover so I got the full benefit of that 25 mils where all my neighbours had charged around and eaten it off in 30 days um, 30 days later, I was coming off a 100-day round and my, my farm had recovered to a 25, 2600 average cover when everyone else was well below 1800. So it was, uh, yeah, it made a significant mm. difference to us. Talk about any challenges or drawbacks to using it. So the challenges were getting the cows into the paddock for a start off because because of the amount of it, we were putting our cows in at 10 square metres a cow. So it's obviously too small an area to start your cows off with. So we would start off with essentially two and a half days worth for the first break and then make the subsequent break smaller. So the cows back grazed, they still got the same, the correct number of grazings out of the paddock, but they did that back grazing effect. So it was it was an important learning the first time we did it to actually get our cows, like the first couple of days, they weren't that keen to really finish it, but once you went through that first couple of days of pushing them, they were good as gold. And then it came to the other end of dealing with all that feed and coming at you. The first year we were very cautious about treating it like young grass and being really careful with it. And um, we ended up with an enormous amount of feed and we really had problems dealing with it because we had so much awesome quality tucker. And so from there on, we actually changed our farm system to bring our heifers back early and actually increase our stocking rate on our farm sort of in that, in that April-May period to actually deal with the feed, maintain the quality, and meant we had a higher stocking rate over winter when we'd normally graze a few cows off. We had to keep them on to manage it, which, you know, is a terrible problem to have, Ben. <laughs> oh, the oh, how they're suffering. <laughs> hey, so did you, as the seasons went by, did you did you sort of refine what you were doing yes. with it? Yeah. yeah, we got a lot more. We probably got a lot more harsh on that regrazing. We were getting, instead of going and doing a pull test and going, there's some coming out, we'll leave it. I'd grab a handful of some stayed behind. It was time for cows to go in there. So we were getting quite assertive on getting cows back in there. Another point maybe to mention is when I first did it, I was really concerned about the potential for facial weakness spores. And so that was something we had tested. We never found elevated levels. The levels were always really low in our deferred pasture as opposed to our other pastures. So that was that gave us a bit of peace of mind going forward. That's probably a lot of the a lot of the main points. That's great. It's a nice quick overview of the subject. When's the best time for farmers to use deferred grazing? 
Um, October is a key time to be thinking about pasture deferral. You can roll pasture forward from month to month at any time, but for a long deferral, there are a couple of key considerations. It is important to align the last grazing and all the paddock closing date with the flowering of prune or grass cultivars. This is really key. If you know you have mid-season cultivars, the last grazing date should be early October. If you've got late-season cultivars, it should be late October. January, February is another key point, which is timing, which is critical to success. This is time when the paddocks are reopened for grazing. The time to graze is you want to be grazing when you've seen the seed drop. And the best way to do this is to really just simply walk across the paddocks, part open the standing mass and see whether the seed has dropped to the surface on sitting on the soil surface there. Or you may also see the seed on your boots after walking across the paddock. The schedule of opening and closing um, paddocks for, for a long deferral does mean that if your summer kicks in early around December, you may find yourself facing a feed deficit in late December through to mid to late January. There's sort of a three to six week window there where you may need to consider other ways to fill a feed deficit. So that's used to turn to your typical uh, management practices of culling, reducing your milking frequency or bringing in supplements to bridge that gap until that seed drop occurs. If you do decide to reopen a long deferred paddock early, before the seed drop that is, the paddock will likely need to be renovated. So this kind of brings me to my next point, that there is actually flexibility to move from a long deferral to a short deferral. And likewise, you can move from a short deferral to a long deferral if your paddock closing dates align with what I've just spoken about. Either way, you must make this decision at the end of November. If you're moving from a long deferral to a short deferral so that any grazing occurs in the first couple of weeks of December. So my message is, assess your position in a dry summer at the end of November. Make a decision in early December with whether you're going to go short or long deferral and commit to it. Cool. Hey, a question for both of you, and I'll chuck it to you first, Ian. The coming months are likely to be drier than normal for many regions or, or might be with this El Nino forecast and farmers are also going into a lay, lower payout year so will be focused on controlling costs. You know, what role could deferred grazing play in helping farmers address those challenges? You're right, Ben. We're looking, you know, we're, we're needing to consider El Nino, controlling our costs, um, repairing damaged pastures because we had that wet winter which nobody really enjoyed and managing that summer feed deficit. And for some farmers, deferred grazing is going to be a really useful tool for them and it can address all those issues. It's going to reduce your cost of silage, obviously, because you're not paying to make it into silage, you're just moving it through for your cows. You don't have that upfront cost of crop establishment or regrassing. And um, it gives you your flexibility, so you can um, utilise that feed surplus from spring, or you can make it for hay, or you can graze it early if you have an earlier earlier deficit, and yeah, if conditions turn dry on you early. In my experience, it's probably deferred as well suited to a lower input system because of the quality of the feed, or autumn calving farms, some like system five plus autumn calving farms will use deferred grazing because it's an ideal feed to have on hand when they're calving for their springing cows. Cool. Wendy, anything to add to that? 
Yeah, I'll just uh, reiterate that deferred grazing is a tool that can help take the stress out of a drought situation. Particularly a long deferral is a great way to rejuvenate poor performing paddocks, can get up to 25% more grass in the deferred paddocks in the following spring. And of course, you know, the deferred pasture when you come to graze it is a really cheap form of um, feed compared to buying in feed. And that's a really important consideration with the current high costs and low milk payout um, that farmers are facing. You mentioned that trial four or five years ago. Talk to us about what the research has been on deferred grazing and what it's shown us. The concept of a, of a long deferral is not new. Uh, it was a really integral part of farming in the days when haymaking and lower stocking rates were the norm. And there was some early work done at the Taranaki Research Agricultural Research Station that found um, increased pasture performance in the year following deferral with no detrimental effects on milk production or animal health. More recently, Daring Zed has um, demonstrated quite significant benefits from deferred grazing, and we completed a four-year plot trial on our research farm in the Waikato here, uh, where we looked at the longevity of a long deferral as a management tool to rejuvenate running our pastures. And in that trial, we found that the deferred pastures had increased ryegrass production and tiller populations compared to our control and undersowing treatments. And we even had a, a yield advantage of just over one and a half tonnes of dry matter per hectare three years post deferral. So it's just really encouraging. In the trial, we also quantified the pasture quality because obviously if you're going to defer pasture for 110, 120 days, there's going to be a loss of quality. And we found that that deferred pasture was sitting around about 7 to 8 megajoules of ME per kilogram of dry matter. And while that seems low, and it is, it's important to note that that penalty is actually really quite minimal in a hot, dry summer when dry conditions are also impacting the rest of the farm and you're feeding silage anyway. And some other um, factors that popped out of that trial was that the practices of a long deferral is it's a form of reseeding, but it's actually quite different from a traditional reseeding. You finish up with a very huge dump of um, seed onto the ground, get a good stroke of germination, and uh, you get a tremendous number of new seedlings. And that will create what we describe as a wall of feed. So when you come to do your first grazing, which is typically a light grazing of a new pasture, you've got a lot of feed that you've got to get off. So to bring those pastures back into the rotation, that is a fair bit of management time is involved there. So we do encourage there to keep the deferred area to a manageable 5 to 10% of your farm the first time you mm. implement it. This sort of kind of brings me to my final point that is around economics. We've done some crunching of the numbers from their trial and relative to the typical practice of pasture renovation, implementing a long deferral over the summer could save farmers around $1,500 per hectare for every hectare deferred. Now, Ian, I am going to fire three quick questions at you on you, this new segment that we've got on the podcast. What's one thing you love about the dairy sector? And um, What I love about the dairy sector, Ben, is actually... Um, is that we all come together and share each other's knowledge and help each other out. We're all on the same team. I came from a background of horticulture, and um, as I've often told people, I was growing export apples and apricots um, and cherries, and uh, if my neighbour asked me what the time of day was, I would probably give him the wrong time because <laughs> I wouldn't be wanting to help him out. He was my direct competitor. The difference to the dairy industry was refreshing, and, yeah, I really enjoy it. No, I'd like to have been your friend when you were growing all that fruit. That would have been a good time. Um, what's one thing the dairy sector has given you and your family? 
well, has given me a family, to be honest, and um, and a career. Of um, I really took it up originally just as a, to do a bit of relief milking while my wife was working for Fonterra, and um, I've really enjoyed that. It was in 2008, and um, I've essentially built my entire career and life around dairy farming and enjoyed every minute of it. So, awesome. yeah, dairying's given me the whole lot, Ben. That's awesome. And just lastly, what's one thing you'd, you'd like non-farmers to know or, or understand about dairy farming? I think if non-farmers understood how much farmers, especially dairy farmers, care about literally everything, it would be a real eye-opener for them. Like just how much all of our farmers really care about all the aspect of their farming operation and how everyone sees them, that would be a real eye-opener for non-farmers, I believe. Ah, mate, awesome answers. I love it. Hey, thank you so much. It was a really cool conversation about the food grazing. Wendy, just quickly, for anyone who wants to know more about the topic, where can they go? There's a page on uh, DarianZ's website, which is information, or they can ring um, DarianZ's um, hotline and people through to a relevance expert. Cool. I'll put a link to that page in our show notes. Thank you so much, both of you. Great chat. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Talking Dairy, and thanks to Ian and Wendy for your time. Check the show notes for a link to DairyNZ's feed management page where you can read more about deferred grazing. There's also a link there to an Inside Dairy article about Ian and Natalie Butler's experience with pasture deferral. Catch you next time.